Welcome to the Learn, Liken, and Lift podcast. I'm your coach, Carrie Hickenlooper. Let's get started. Life is a classroom. Did you have the same Sunday school lessons as I did? The ones that really wanted to impress upon you how important this time on earth was. They didn't want you just being frivolous with your choices. That life was a test. Very serious sounding, isn't it? And the phrase isn't wrong. We, we learn from Alma and Amulek in the Book of Mormon that this mortal life is a probationary state. It's a time to prepare to meet God. But for me... Life is a test? That does not work for me. It actually brings up a lot of fear. It actually pushes my button of perfectionism. I mean, have you heard of test anxiety? Yeah, that's what my experience is like. When I think life is a test, I walk around just a little anxious and a little unsure of myself. Am I getting it right? Am I saying the right thing? Am I making the right choice? Am I acting the way I'm supposed to act because everything feels like a test. And because, like a test, there's this expectation that you're already supposed to know the correct answers. That if you were a good student and you had shown up to class and you did your work and you studied hard and you listened and you practiced, then you should be proficient. So when you sit down to that test, you should already know the right answers. And then there's the reward of passing or excelling, and then you get to give yourself a little pat on the back, a little celebration dance, that all your hard work paid off. But if life is a test, what does failure mean? And walking around believing that life is a test immediately puts us into fear that perhaps we aren't doing things right, or maybe we're the only ones that don't have things figured out yet. And that failing actually means something really, really bad. For some, this can look like perfectionism on overdrive, doing our best, number one, but only doing something if we know that we are 100% going to succeed, that failure isn't an option. But then for others, on the other end of the spectrum, it can look like ambivalence or even taking themselves out of the exam altogether. And then the rest of us, we kind of fall somewhere at some point on, on that spectrum. Talk about anxiety, right? Life is a test. It actually bumps us into a fight, flight, or freeze response. If we're having the response of fight, we may be doing all that we can to prove how right we are, that our position is the right position. So we're not listening to other people's perspectives. We're refusing to apologize. That's so hard for us to do. It's painful to apologize when we're in a fight response. And this can look like over-explaining and talking over someone and trying to prove how right you are and how wrong they are. And it's fault-finding and criticizing. It's refusing to hear or it's even silence. And all of this fighting is actually to fight the fear, that fear that's growing really big inside of you that tells you that maybe you got it wrong. And that means that there's something fundamentally wrong with you. It's shame, right? But some of us have this desire to flee or to run away from whatever circumstance we're supposed to be facing, but we're afraid 
because we're afraid we might get it wrong. And this can look like refusing to face the problem or indecision or resisting to find solutions or just resisting to take a step forward in order to find the solution. It's preferring to engage in indulgent behaviors that can just take our attention off of it. It's usually behaviors that really don't require a lot of brain power and avoid pain and seek pleasure like Netflixing or overeating or drinking over our self-proclaimed limit of Diet Coke. You know, even housework, because housework doesn't require a lot of brain power. Housework for me has actually been my escape. Laundry. How many of you have avoided what you really need to be facing and just declared it a day that you're going to get all the laundry done? Because there's no, there's no brain power in doing laundry, right? This can all be the flea response. It makes things bigger than they need to be. It's the fear of making mistakes, of not knowing where to start, of not believing that we have the skills or the knowledge to tackle the circumstance perfectly or even properly. We have these fears because we've attached so much meaning to what it looks like to do things in a human way, which can sometimes look sloppy can look like a toddler who's trying to reach the divine skill of walking, but he first must go through the process of stumbling and then building the muscle to get back up. We want to skip all of that. And there are times when we think that life is a test and then we freeze. We're not fighting the problem and creating a lot of unnecessary resistance. And we aren't fleeing from the problem and avoiding it altogether, but we're frozen, (laughs) The test is our ever-present friend. It's the house guest that will not leave. And this can look like overthinking, those ruminating thoughts, thinking about the problem over and over again. If I just keep thinking about it and I look at it in different ways, surely I'm going to figure this out. And it might look like you're trying to solve problems, but really you're just paralyzed with fear because you fear getting it wrong. The shame of not knowing the right answer. And, you know, even anger can accompany this, this response because of all the headspace and the energy that's being sucked up by this particular test. It can look like indecision. It can even disguise itself as risk assessment, looking at every single angle and assessing which path you should take, which path is going to give you the direct path from point A to point B with as little bumps and detours as possible. When in reality... I don't know about you, but when God is in the details of my life, it rarely looks like a smooth, not bumpy, no detour, direct path from A to B. But for some reason, us humans, we get so caught up that the perfect right response to this particular test is supposed to look direct without any bumps. And that brings up a lot of fear when we can't find the solution that looks like that. Now, if life is a test is working for you, don't change it. (laughs) You and Elder Bednar probably have a lot in common. If it keeps you focused and if it helps you with your discernment, if it inspires you, don't change a thing. It's working for you. However, I'd like to offer another thought that I think can be just as useful and get us to the same place. And that is life is a classroom. I can't remember where I first heard this. But I know the executive coach, Kim Giles, uses it in her work a lot. And so we're, 
and I enjoy her stuff, so we'll just give her credit. (laughs) But life as a classroom is a merciful approach. You're still accountable for your studies and for your actions and how seriously you take this time in the classroom. And hopefully you're taking it seriously because the desire of this class is that by the end, you will be prepared so that all of God's glory can be bestowed upon you. That's pretty cool. It embraces this mercy approach or characteristic. My short definition of mercy is treating others better than they deserve. And while we're engaged and signed up and working this classwork, this is the attribute of our master teacher. It's his mercy that allows us this experience in the first place. Life as a classroom reminds me that it's not expected of me to have everything figured out right now. I'm just practicing. I don't have all the skills and tools developed quite yet. In fact, I'm in the shop and I'm developing them right now. And I'm practicing and I'm fine-tuning them. And sometimes I'm going to rock it. And sometimes I'm going to crash and burn. But nothing is permanent yet. Nothing is defining me yet. It reminds me that I'm in the good hands of the master teacher. And unlike us humans, he is completely capable of giving each one of us our independent educational plans. My lessons don't look like your lessons. And my skills don't look like yours. And that's okay. I don't need to be threatened at what you have and I lack. Because it's not a measurement of my failure. So we don't need to be jealous of each other. And we don't need to steal one another's joy. And we don't need to fear that we're not enough. And we don't need to worry that there is only so much room at the top for the succeeders. And so we got to elbow one another in order to be able to get to the top. In fact, I can treat myself better than I deserve. I can remember that my teacher is teaching me at the perfect pace for me. He already knows my abilities and he's growing those. And when it's required of me, he's going to add new lessons so that I can grow more. And he's not judging me for what I don't possess yet. He's mercifully treating me better than I deserve because he knows me perfectly. In fact, the third thing that I remember when I think about life as a classroom is really the high price that my teacher has already paid for me to learn in the first place. The price he paid is how he knows what is required for me. He knows my weakness. And he tells me that his grace is sufficient for me. He never tells me that there's no help that he can give me. He never tells me that I have failed out of the classroom. He never tells me even that I've failed. His work and his glory is to see me succeed. So everything that comes my way is working for his purpose and my desire. And he isn't surprised by my weakness. And he isn't surprised in the areas that I still have growing and learning to do. That makes sense to him. And he's prepared with erasers and retakes and revisions and do-overs he encourages me to do. In fact, he counts on it. Because the fourth thing that I'm able to hold on to that brings me so much mercy is that when I am struggling, it's in the moment of my struggling that my teacher is really the most excited because he knows that I am going to come to him most likely. I'm not going to be frozen there in my desk. 
I'm not going to be arguing with him. I'm not going to be trying to slip out of the classroom. Instead, I'm going to come to his desk to talk to him. And I'm going to ask him questions. And I'm going to listen for his response. And I'm going to use his erasers to fix my mistakes. And sometimes I'm going to ask him to repeat himself and explain it one more time. It's this time with him that he knows is it's what I need. And he wants to give it to me. And he knows that if I, if I take that time, it's all going to work out for me. That nothing has gone wrong. Because he's extending mercy. There aren't prejudgments before my judgments. He's treating me better than I deserve because that's how dearly he wants me to succeed. When I see life as a classroom, I can actually relax my fear responses. And I can just practice experiencing mercy. So when I make a mistake or I offend someone, I can just take a breath. I can hear them and I can act accordingly. I don't have to fight the fear of failing or the fear of loss in me. So when I don't know what to do, instead of running or avoiding, I can turn to him and I can wait for his teachings. And then I can move forward and do the best that I know to do. And I'm moving forward in faith that this is all going to work out and anticipating that if I'm not making the right steps forward, that my teacher is going to come and he is going to help correct me. I'm not punishing myself either for making mistakes and I'm not being harsh with myself because I realize that we are all learning lessons and we're all messing up now and then. And that my mess ups are not surprises to him. He is very intimately aware of where I will fall short. He has paid that price. So when we accept the mercy of Jesus Christ, we can love ourselves for the good that we are. We can enjoy the good that we are. We can rest in the space that the Savior has given us through his mercy. We can figure things out in that space. We can take time to think and discern and practice and get it wrong and try again. We can repent of our errors when it's necessary. We can eliminate all this unnecessary pain and suffering that we do when we try and avoid repenting. We eliminate this digging in of our heels that we do to stick to our position, even though we know inside of us it's not serving us. But we're so afraid to admit that because of the meaning that we've attached to imperfection and making mistakes. And we can stop prematurely judging ourselves and judging where we should be because that's life as a test thinking. But life is a classroom thinking looks like we are exactly where we should be. Our learning and our development is on a spectrum. We are advancing. In the lab, we are working and we're getting messy and we're experimenting and we're failing and we're learning from our mistakes so that we, the next time we do this, can be improved. And then we're going to be given a next time because how many times have you experienced and you think to yourself, oh my gosh, I am experiencing this same learning lesson again. Yeah, me too. And we will. 
until we develop the attributes that our teacher possesses. Life as a classroom makes space for the atonement to be very real and necessary, not to be secretly used in shame because we failed the test but to be used openly, and it's a necessary part of our coursework. In fact, it's on the syllabus. It's to be used. So this week, I invite you to practice thinking mercy, treating others better than you deserve. And first, begin with you. How does God extend mercy to you? When you get something wrong, does a lightning bolt come? No. What has he put in place for you? For you to fix it. For you to take the drama out and change course. See how he is very involved, sleeves rolled up, sitting right beside you, ready to work with you. Notice how not anxious he is and how abundant he is with the do-overs that he provides you. And when you notice that, I want you to then start practicing telling yourself, especially when you want to fight or flee or freeze, tell yourself life is a classroom. And if I get this wrong, retakes and do-overs are available. No big deal. Nothing has gone wrong and everything is fixable. And I want you to notice how your fear is going to go down and your self-acceptance is going to grow. And when that happens, you will be prepared to love others and extend mercy to others because you're going to see that they're in this human classroom too. And they're getting the perfect learning lessons. And they don't have all the attributes figured out yet either. And they're doing human and human looks messy and glorious and tough and beautiful. And really, it's all really very safe. So go and practice mercy. Good luck with your studies this week. If you know someone who is amazing and just needs to know that she's doing better than she knows, feel free to share this podcast with her. Help her see that the Savior is not surprised by her weakness. In fact, not only does he know it intimately, but he's really hoping she'll come up to his desk and seek his help. Also, I invite you to join me on Instagram. Join me at Carrie Hickenlooper Coaching and let me know how this message resonates with you. 